connectivity is the foundation for everything that we build on top of it. We can't realize high value outcomes, whether we're trying to maximize operational efficiency, lower our cost, reduce carbon footprint, reduce risk, and improve our cybersecurity posture without having all of our devices in the building, regardless of system, communicate data through a single pipe that we can then normalize, that we can then action, which we can then overlay AI and machine learning on to realize these outcomes. So it's a critical, critical piece in Quadreal's overall strategy and hence was the first thing that I really tackled when I got to the firm. Hey friends, if you like the Nexus podcast, the best way to continue the learning is to join our community. There are three ways to do that. First, you can join the Nexus Pro membership. It's our global community of smart building professionals. We have monthly events, paywall deep dive content, and a private chat room, and it's just $35 a month. Second, you can upgrade from the Pro membership to our courses offering. It's headlined by our flagship course, The Smart Building Strategist, and we're building a catalog of courses taught by world-leading experts on each topic under the Smart Buildings umbrella. Third, and finally, our marketplace is how we connect leading vendors with buyers looking for their solutions. The links are below in the show notes. And now let's go on to the podcast. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. This is the latest episode in our series diving into case studies. So we're talking real life, large scale deployments of smart building technologies. I think as Thano once said to me, um, talk about actually doing stuff rather than talking about doing stuff. Um, so I'll emphasize real life because we're not here to create a marketing fluff story. We're here to share lessons from these leaders that others can put to use in their smart buildings program. So today we have a story coming from quad real property group. Um, they're a global real estate company headquartered in Vancouver, um, with assets all over the, of Canada, the U S UK, Europe, and Asia Pacific. So Thano, welcome back to the show. Um, we have Thano Lembrinos here, senior vice president, digital buildings, and experiences and innovation, big title at Quadreal. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about yourself uh, and, and your background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thank you for having me again. I always enjoy being on your podcasts and helping advance the community and the, the deployment of technology throughout real estate. Uh, yeah, my title is very long. I wanted something that would fit on two sides of a business card uh, rather than just one. Um, and, and it was the shortest thing I could come up with for everything that that uh, that we do here in our group here at Quadreal. A little bit of background on myself. I've been at Quadreal now for the better part of five years, a little over five years now. Uh, before that, I was in construction, worked for a large general contractor, and then before that in the subtrades. So that upbringing and the adjacencies to technology and the general pragmatic approach that's beaten into you when you learn how to build something from the ground up has really served itself well in me and in the way that we've put the team together in order to implement tech and digitally transform the portfolio. In that, we've taken a very pragmatic and practical approach to everything that we do. And as you said, uh, actually do stuff and not just talk about doing stuff. So for those who aren't familiar with me in the group, uh, that I manage and I'm lucky enough to run here at Quadreal. We're responsible for everything from technology infrastructure in the building. That includes connectivity, which we'll dive into quite a bit today. Um, the systems that connect 
to that infrastructure, whether they be uh, controls, mechanical controls, lighting, parking, energy metering, elevators, audiovisual systems, you name it, uh, and the in- integration of those systems to realize a number of outcomes, operational outcomes and use cases, and also the customer platforms. Uh, recently, my group has also expanded into mechanical and electrical infrastructure deployment, such that we now have a thread from design through to procurement into construction and commissioning um, all the way through so that we can realize the outcomes that we're driving for. Because we, as we've gone through this journey, have learned that uh, deploying technology in the built environment is impossible unless you have the right systems in place. And uh, that system design isn't uh, conducive to the success of the technology unless you have the right infrastructure infrastructure systems in place. So now we've kind of incorporated all of that in our group to deploy uh, across all of our new developments as well as across all of our existing assets uh, in Canada and are expanding into the U.S. and the U.K. and Asia Pacific, as you mentioned. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Um, I love your background because it's similar I think you had a lot more time in construction than I did, but I started in mechanical contracting. I think I told you that at some point. And it's just a, a way to ground everything that we're talking about here in reality when you have to uh, go on a job site and you have to price a job up. Like all, all of the things that you learn when you're in contracting uh, really, really benefit all the stuff we talk about on this show. So let's talk about this actual sort of, it's not one project, right? It's a more of a program that you've rolled out across the portfolio. So let me ask some sort of rapid fire questions just to sort of give people context for this sort of case study that we're about to talk about. So who's on your vendor uh, team? Yeah, for sure. So uh, Andorix Wayne, who's joining us today, is our network integration and managed services partner. Uh, there's a couple of manufacturers that include DZS uh, or formerly Dawson Zone, uh, as well as HFR, uh, network manufa- uh, equipment manufacturers. Uh, Belden is our cabling uh, partner that we've deployed, um, and uh, and I think that wraps the uh, the connectivity platform. And then, of course, as we mentioned, there's a number of contractor partners that we've engaged with across uh, the country to uh, deploy the actual and install the infrastructure. Totally. And give us a sense for the scale of this. How many buildings are we talking about here? Uh, we're over 50 buildings now, I believe, uh, between commercial, uh, residential, and retail um, and uh, that equates to the better part of 30, 20, maybe 30 million square feet and several thousand uh, residential units. So it's it's pretty significant. And when did this project start? So I want to give people a sense for how long you've been doing this. Yeah, we've been at it for a while. We started in 2019. There was a, a little pandemic that I think some people have heard of that interrupted some of our flow, but didn't really stop us. Uh, we deployed aggressively through 2020 and 2021. Uh, we wrapped the vast majority of buildings in the latter part of 21 uh, into 22 and have been adding as we go and in maintenance mode with a number of them since. Cool. And last question in our little rapid fire round here. Talk about the results that you've either seen since then or the way that you think about the results from doing this. Yeah, I I consider this an enormous success uh, considering the very disparate state that our portfolio was generally in before we started this program. Uh, The results are both qualitative and quantitative uh, from a quantitative perspective, directly related to those sites that had infrastructure, traditional network infrastructure. And we'll talk about the difference as we go through this discussion. 
we were able to cycle those infrastructures out and save between 60 and 70% on capital costs uh, and 50 plus percent on our ongoing service costs. Uh, for those buildings that had no infrastructure, the visibility that we gained from a, a more qualitative standpoint was significant. Uh, and the foundation that we laid to allow, allow for future retrofits and expansion uh, will continue to serve us into the future with everything that we do in those assets. Uh, and as we start to look at ways of leveraging the data, the possibilities are endless. So just a couple snippets and we can get into some details as we go. But uh, but this was a huge deal for us, for sure. Yeah, we'll dive into the results a little bit more detail later on. Wayne Kim is here as well with us, founder and CEO at Andorix. Wayne, can you talk about um, your history in the industry and sort of uh, tell us the story of Andorix because this is the first time we've we've heard from you guys on the show as well. Sure. Hi, James. Uh, appreciate it uh, inviting us uh, for this um, occasion. I'm I'm the the founder and the CEO of Endorex, and really it's a, it's a journey that I've been on for the last 25 years. It's really about technology, and and when the cloud was not a cloud back in 2000, that's when we started this journey of how to provide provide the services, manage services, or evaluating services for the the internet industry that is exploding. And basically, what we were doing is that we we're providing a, a IT services that are essential to the service providers who are in the data centers that are basically connecting uh, the, the World Wide Web. And we had, you know, we got funded out of California and, 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 and so on, and we grew that until the dot-com crashed. And we had to realize that what is real needs to be is that we need to make money. And, and so, <laughs> so we shut down a whole bunch of things, came back to Canada and, and focused on like real services that are going to be generated. And, and one of the key things is that we partner with the folks who actually own the, the, the high, you know, high pipes, speed pipes that needs to be able to deliver the massive amount of data. And so that is the, the company that I founded, you know, 25 years ago, 24, 23 years ago. And, and then, and, and basically with that, we grew that business and in 2015, you know, when, you know, there was a, there was a, this whole concept of hey, there is a digitization, there is a smart building ideas, what can we do with this thing? And so I got onto that, you know, the, the train, and, and then I said, okay, I, I've got the IBMP, smart building platform, I want to be able to deploy the first to deploy the building. And, and we did. And we had uh, one of the other property owners in Toronto that wanted to do this thing. And we jumped on it and says, let me put my amazing software on it. And we got there. And says, okay, where's the data? Uh, they said, I don't know. Like IT people don't know, the the building operations people don't know. So we had to literally have our our technology engineers go and search out where the networks were. We were able to find access control. Okay, where's the HVAC? <laughs> where's the security? <laughs> where's the metering? Like it just go on and on and on, and it took almost about four to six months to find all of the network. We needed to bring it into a centralized location where we actually able to ingest that data, right? So one thing that I realized that in order to make the building smart, you better have the network before you could start anything. So that was the, the lesson learned. And at that point I said, 
there's no point trying to bring intelligence in a platform into the building without the network. And that building that I got involved in 2015 was a brand new building. So that tells you the state of where people are thinking in terms of how do I create a, a you know, digitize this building for the smart journey. And I think that's when I sort of said, you know what, I think to, we need to relook at this thing because we're not going to be able to make money. We invested like $300,000 to do this particular project and gave it with, with nothing. But what it did was that it taught us that the, the before you do any journey into this space, you need the network. Network is the key and digitization of that data and bring it into the what we call the smart building platform or data lake, whatever that needs to be done. You cannot scale the, the building transformation without that. So I think that was the my my journey to it. And and after learning that process, I heard about this company called Quadrio that was is forming a new company and, and, and going through the innovation journey. And I wanted to be able to uh, get involved and say, hey, let's get the networking first before you go through anything else. I think that was the, the you know, that was a 2018, Thano, remember that? <laughs> We're going through it. And one of the things that we need to do it cheaper, faster, and more uh, effective, and it's got to last. One of the things that we learned from the, the IT is that IT system only lasts for three to four years. Whereas the building, you know, elevator doesn't last three to four years, it is 20 years. <laughs> HVAC lasts for 20 years. How do we deliver the platform that will be able to last for 15, 20 years? And one of the first thing we did was we got to pick as a fiber, as a platform. And because of the future is, is, is going to be, you know, 5G, 6G, all the Gs are coming that requires the fiber as, as, a, as a backbone uh, based, uh, based, based on that. And, and then on top of that is that whatever you be able to do, you don't have to replace for a lot, you know, 20 years. So those things, you got to think like the, you know, the, the building owners rather than IT. And I think that was a journey that we have taken. And I think that's where we are today with, you know, with, with the quadro. So Thano, when did you start down this path and, and why? And can you talk about what the goals were at the beginning of this? Yeah, absolutely. We started back in the latter part of 2018, planning out what this entire transformation was going to look like and what we were hoping for for it to yield in the years to come. One of the major things that we realized as we looked at our portfolio is that everything existed in silos, systems, softwares, uh, infrastructure. It all did a great job, in some cases good, in some cases, frankly, bad job of doing the job that it was meant to do in a silo. And, and that wasn't going to enable us to realize the outcomes that not only have we realized today, but what we're looking to realize in the future. So when we thought about it, and when I used the, this bad real estate analogy, and I, I wrote it in an article in, for Realcom a few years ago, when we think about connectivity, we think about it as the foundation of our digital transformation strategy. You can't build a building without a foundation that is meant to last the test of time, hundreds of years. And in the same fashion, you can't build a digital strategy without a solid concrete and rebar foundation of connectivity. So that's why we started. We, we looked at it as an, as an essential piece uh, to moving Quadrail strategy forward to drive on the outcomes of 
operational cost reduction, to drive on the outcomes of risk reduction, especially around cybersecurity, uh, to reduce energy use and carbon footprint, to enhance operational efficiency, to improve experiences, and really differentiate our assets from our competitive set. It sounds funny to say that connectivity and uh, building network infrastructure and an IoT network and, and Wi-Fi and other connectivity platforms are critical to that overall strategy, but you can't get anywhere without it. Totally. And you came on the show last year with Code Labs, and we talked about the the software platform that you were trying to enable. And it seems like if I can just sort of like summarize the two episodes here um, in our conversations about these projects, you're, you started here and realized that you wanted to get there. You wanted to do FDD. You wanted to do supervisory control for energy savings. You wanted to do more, right? You wanted to do a bunch of stuff and you realized, okay, this is the the beginning, the infrastructure to enable that is the network layer. Absolutely. that It, it, it was incredibly clear uh, early on that while possible to band-aid and slap a number of things together to try our best to get the data out of these systems, it wasn't going to be conducive to long-term scale. As we started to, uh, as buildings evolved and as we retrofitted systems, as we added systems, as we added IoT devices, as we looked at the proliferation of technology in real estate, it became very clear that we needed a strong foundation in order to uh, realize this idea of the single pane of glass that everybody talks about so flippantly. Uh, but what I would like to think we're actually, we have actually implemented. And, you know, one example I'll give you is we deployed very early on. Uh, we're working on an asset in Chicago with a partner. And Dorix was our partner on that asset as well from an infrastructure standpoint, deployed the network, the IoT network and the cellular DAS infrastructure. And we deployed some technologies that were very nascent and frankly, uh, didn't yield the results that we wanted to yield. Um, I will bring up code because they are one of our partners and we have spoken to them here before. Because of the infrastructure that we had deployed in that building, and because of the, the general capabilities and quality of the code platform, but certainly because of the infrastructure, we were able to stand up that smart building platform in the course of a couple of weeks and entirely remotely because the connectivity infrastructure was there. All of the systems throughout the building were available on that infrastructure. Uh, and it was very easy and, and safe to provide remote access with the cybersecurity controls and the vendor access infrastructure that we put into place. So, so to that end, you know, we, we realized it very early on that while possible, it, it was going to be probably uh, less, extremely less cost effective in the long term to deploy traditionally and certainly wouldn't allow us the ability to scale and, uh, and, and, and realize the outcomes the way that we have thus far. So Wayne, I saw you chuckle there when he when he brought up the project related to Chicago with Code Labs. Can you talk about how, you know, it sounds like you guys started out as software providers and that now are just doing the network layer. Now you're partnering with the software application providers. Can you talk about that partnership and how important it is for you guys to work with them and, and vice versa? 
I, you, you know what? You know, it's absolutely, absolutely the, the most important thing because at the what Code Lab is that they need the data and we are the collector of that data. And what we're doing is that whenever they they come to us and say, hey, we're, we're deploying in you know, ABC buildings and within a day or two, they have a connectivity, they have access to data, they have access to normal data and they're start working on it. Like it's, it's, it's crazy in terms of how scale that you could actually deploy the, the, the intelligent building platform. You could actually mo uh, deploy multiple sites, three, four buildings at a time where it used to take eight months, 10 months, 12 months, like a year and a half to do any one building. You're talking about the scale is beyond, you know, it's, it's imaginative. You can imagine. So I think from that perspective, I think it's, it's, a, it's absolutely genius in terms of how the, the partnership between us, you know, the code lab cannot be code lab without us. And we cannot be you know, like joining together basically is delivering the, the, the vision of Quadrio. I think that's how I want to put it. In. And we are working very closely with the code labs and the team. And we, each of us, knows the value of uh, the both companies and we are <laughs> we're basically saying here's the code lab they're amazing and and code lab is saying the thing you cannot do without the network so <laughs> so i think those are the co collaboration work that we're doing together awesome yeah it's great um dano can you talk about the the state of your networks and why that was a problem other than enabling software platforms like we're talking about why was this a problem the way the networks were before? Uh, the way that people describe it to me is like, it's a hodgepodge of unmanaged spaghetti wires going everywhere. Can you talk about why that was a, the problem the way it was and specifically around cybersecurity? Yeah, absolutely. Hodgepodge and spaghetti were two of the words that I was actually going to use. So you took them out of my head. A cluster, if you will, without the latter part of that phrase. Um, is is kind of the state that things were in. So it presents issues on a few different fronts. As you mentioned, the spaghetti side of it is an infrastructure piece. We had infrastructure throughout our buildings. We had no visibility into where it was, physically where it was, what it was doing, if it was active or decommissioned. So created uh, management and operational issues with respect to simply managing the risers or managing the mechanical and electrical rooms and managing where all this infrastructure resided, understanding if it was active or not active. Um, we are very, very aggressively trying to clean up spaces uh, and are trying to ensure that anything that goes into our buildings is well documented, is constantly uh, updated with changes so that we understand what's active and what's inactive so that we can uh, properly manage our spaces from a physical standpoint. The other point that you touched on uh, is absolutely appropriate as well from a cybersecurity perspective. We had a number of different networks with unmanaged internet connections, some we were paying for, some we weren't paying for through vendors. Uh, connect connections lit up all over the place that we had zero visibility into, which just created openings for bad actors to wreak whatever havoc they chose to wreak. Thankfully, we were not, and real estate generally speaking, hasn't been a target, but they're opportunistic folks, right? And what we've learned uh, through my participation in the Real Estate Cyber Consortium, to give that group a little bit of a, a plug, um, is that 
because of the opportunistic nature of bad actors, sometimes they stumble into buildings. And there are now case studies of hackers coming into buildings and taking down elevators and taking down HVAC systems and taking down lighting systems. And because of that unmanaged nature of a lot of these assets, those buildings were left beyond repair for several weeks at a time. So from a cyber standpoint, it was a huge risk. And one of the things that implementing this infrastructure allowed us to do was gain that visibility where we had none before. So beyond those other outcomes, the the last piece that I'll say on the visibility front is genuinely having visibility into the devices that are connected to that infrastructure. And as we evolve, and I'll be frank and transparent here, uh, we have a bunch of work to still do in that space, uh, but we are working towards being able to understand every single device, what it is, what it's connected to. We have a lot of this information already, but our goal is to amalgamate it into a single place where my team in concert and partnership with various IT folks that are interested can effectively manage the cybersecurity program and can effectively uh, run asset management on uh, on our infrastructure elements throughout the buildings. You talked earlier about how you have your you know, vendor team, you know, you have Belden on the, the cabling, et cetera, et cetera, and Dorix helping you with what, what we're about to talk about. Um, can you talk about that buying process? Like what were the options that you were considering why did you choose this, um, you know, these preferred hardware providers and then Andorix as a service provider? Can you talk about that piece? So when we started looking at the connectivity strategy and the fact that it would enable everything to come, we were very methodical and stepped in our approach. I also didn't want to do something everybody had already done that wasn't going to scale because in my past life, I had deployed a number of traditional network infrastructures, active network infrastructures with all of the big names and logos on the equipment that you would expect that are very, very uh, expensive. And as Wayne said earlier, life cycle very quickly, which adds a significant spend to not only the capital budget of an asset, but also the ongoing operational budget. So we took a step back and looked at other technologies and looked at things differently. We evaluated all of the uh, traditional active network vendors. We evaluated a series of manufacturers on the passive optical network side. And our first major decision gate was, were we going to go traditional or were we going to uh, try our hand at passive optical networks, which hadn't, or PON, which hadn't been deployed at scale across buildings. There had been smatterings of it here and there. Uh, but never at scale. Everybody looked at me like I was crazy when I thought to do it in the first place. But the value proposition, the advancements in the technology and the cost of it was too tempting to not at least pilot in a single building. Uh, so when we evaluated all of the manufacturers, we landed on Dawson because of their uh, cost and technology profile. Uh, there was a number of uh, leveling elements that went into the evaluation of all of these different manufacturers. Um, and when we looked at Dawson's preferred partners, uh, Andorix was their preferred partner in Canada. So we aligned with them uh, to deploy our first pilot building. Uh, that was 745 Thurlow in Vancouver. So in summation, it was, it was very stepped and we went through each of the different elements rather than looking at it 
uh, holistically and make a make a single buying purchase, we dove deep into what type of infrastructure do we want to deploy? Who are the manufacturers in that space? Let's do our own independent evaluation of the manufacturers, identify a manufacturer, what, who are the service providers that are working for that manufacturer, and then identify the one uh, that best works for us. And that's how we got to where we're at today. Brilliant. Okay. Just take us through the rest of the deployment phases then. So that was like um, category evaluation, vendor selection, piloting in one building. You said, where, where did you go from there for people to, to kind of think about the roadmap here? Yeah, absolutely. So after the successful pilot in the first building, um, we were actually doing a couple things in parallel. Uh, we wanted to prove out the use cases uh, or the deployment use cases in an existing building, which is why 745 Thurlow in Vancouver was selected. At the same time, we had construction projects in flight that I didn't want to miss. So we were designing and uh, getting into early stages of deployment of the infrastructure uh, at major uh, developments like the Vancouver Post Office, now known as the Post, which is Amazon's uh, major AWS's major headquarters in Canada, in Vancouver. And so as we looked at, I'll talk about our existing infrastructure, as we looked at the pilot and the success of the pilot and those lessons learned, uh, we started uh, looking at the entire portfolio and breaking it out into manageable uh, chunks throughout the various different regions. Um, we went through, you know, again, a very stepped and pragmatic process to uh, to assess the buildings, to assess, assess their current state, uh, to work through the various uh, infrastructure designs, both network uh, and cabling, uh, and then group them appropriately across the platform, which, as I mentioned, we were doing during COVID, which was very interesting to do, but still managed to deliver a significant portion in that time. Uh, and then and then worked with uh, our, our preferred uh, uh, networking partners, uh, our managed services partners with Andorix, our infrastructure partners, the manufacturers. I mentioned Belden. I forgot to mention them during the buying process, but they have a significant market share in North America. We looked at those technologies as well as we were evaluating uh, and landed on them. And then we, we actually tendered uh, a number of the installation uh, contractors across the country to deploy the physical infrastructure uh, to deploy uh, the the racking infrastructure, which Andorix then would go and uh, and install their networking equipment into and and make final uh, connections. So so yeah, so so we went through this big approach of looking at the uh, the condition of the portfolio uh, asset by asset because the unfortunate reality is everyone's a little bit different. Identifying a design that was appropriate and a game plan that was appropriate. Um, and then uh, and then tendering. Now, when we start looking at actual rollout and implementation, that's where things get a little spicy and very interesting, uh, because as you can imagine, because of this nuance um, and because of the fact that every infrastructure was managed by somebody different, some vendor, um, or in some cases, nobody, uh, there was a lot of work that had to go into connecting with various different vendors, working with all of the HVAC controls contractors, working with the lighting controls contractors, working with the elevator contractors, the energy metering uh, providers, et cetera, et cetera, going down the list uh, and creating a, a very, very methodical method of procedure when it came to cutting over, which is one of the challenges that I, I'll talk about in a bit, but uh, managing that cutover process in, in an existing building is a big one, especially around mission critical systems in an asset. So hopefully that gives you and your listeners a sense of, of the approach that we went through. 
Yeah, totally. And just before we move on, um, real quick, cutting over is basically they were they were managing their own network, and now you're putting their devices onto the the converged network. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Absolutely. So cutting over essentially means exactly as it sounds. We're cutting a system over from one infrastructure to another uh, that introduced a number of challenges, both physical. You know, can we physically remove this cable and plug it in somewhere else? And from uh, a network and management standpoint as well, uh, it aligning with the, the current managers or lack thereof uh, to make sure that when we fired these this new network up, all the screens on the other end came on and people could manage the building as normal. Yeah, and James, I think one of the, one of the, and, and Daniel uh, could you know uh, probably uh, you know support this thing is that one of the key things of success is that you need to pick the right partner who is going to be standing behind going through the from the design to deployment to the the execution and 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 commissioning and then cut over and i i think that's that's really really important otherwise you you are going to have a problem and and, and on top of that is that you know not only just doing those kind of work it is the beyond that is that okay i am responsible for next 5 years this network is going to be up and running. And, and I think that that's the type of commitment you need as a part of the partnership for Quadrio to be able to commit to the, the this kind of uh, massive, uh, you know, the trans- transformation. And and this is a good place to talk about this. Um, we, we've written a lot of content. We've done a buyer guide around this, this, this sort of network layer here. And we've sort of done a deep dive around what it, what's required as, as far as a managed services provider. We call them network managers or network management services. So Wayne, can you talk about like what goes into that? What is your scope of work here? What are all the things that you're doing on a monthly annual basis to, to keep the network up and running? Yeah, so, so I think what we, what we do and, and what we, are, we, we have consistently been doing is that we just don't do manage of the network. What we do is that we go into the portfolio like the Quadrio and others that we are, we are involved in right now, is that we go from the design perspective. We go right from the, the, the site survey to the design. Once the design is done, then, then we create a bill of materials to the all of the requirements that it needs to be. And then we go through the actual, how we're going to be able to deploy it and commission it based on the building, whether it's a, it's a brand new building or, or you, you, you want to call it the existing uh, platform. And then we deploy it through, and, and we create a, uh, you know, the, the requirements a document which will be given to the, the, the electrical contractors, whoever contractor who's going to be running those fibers in the buildings and making sure that the, they are actually deploying the devices as we have specified. And so that we are going from end to end to make sure that everything is done. And then we actually do the, all of the connections and to test all the network. And then we go through the commissioning of that saying, okay, we're, we're, we're done. And then now we start connecting integrating into the, 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 the building uh, systems, whether it's, uh, you know, BAS systems, whether security elevators, you know, and, and then on top of that, we're not only providing the connecting the building automation systems, we're connecting all of the IOT devices. We're connecting Wi-Fi, you know, building Wi-Fi, you know, the, the common area Wi-Fi systems. We're also connecting the, uh, all of the sensors that are connecting to it as well. So we're doing, complete management, otherwise it's going to fall apart. And then once that has been running, and then on top of that, we are doing DAS, you know, the wireless systems as well as a part of the, the 
you know, the part of the back converse network that we are delivering. Once that is done, we actually start saying, okay, day, day two, we're managing it from today. It's cable right. live. And then we make sure that operates 24 seven. We have a, a not basically on call. We have a 24 seven operation monitoring all of the building systems, which usually didn't happen before. Like it's, it's a hot positive things that you talked about. Who, who knows what goes down? We make sure that is up and running and we have a ticketing system notification to make sure. And if it's a critical systems, we have a, a people on the street that will be able to go to the site and, and, and do what needs to be done as well. So what, we, what we're talking about, we look at building as a mission critical systems within the IT system. And that's how we operate. And to make sure that the quadro, when they're looking at from their building, commercial buildings, that's a 24 seven with a two, 3000 people working and you cannot go down. And I think that's what, you know, what is important to be able to recognize, to be able to know that if you're coming into this journey of integration, you gotta be go all the way to the end. Otherwise, you, you know, the, the quadrier of the world or the major prop, you know, portfolio property owners will not be able to trust and, 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 and be able to go into that journey. Okay, great. I want to circle back on a couple of things that we talked about so far technically here. Um, one is passive optical networking. Can we can we talk about the differences between that and active networks and just talk about, Wayne, maybe maybe you start um, on the technical side of this. We don't want to get too deep into the weeds of physics and, you know, passing signals along a, a glass uh glass uh, cable, but but just talk about if I'm a buyer, what do I need to know about? Why would I go passive optical versus versus active? Yeah, so so one of, one of the key things is that passive optical network is just what it says, passive. It's not an active system. What it is is that you have a one single central system, you know, head end that basically have all of the intelligence. And then it's it's right on the fiber. And, and, and basically fiber is a light that goes through and it, it will go a long way, a long way, in terms of, you know, five, 10 kilometers. And in in doing it, what you will be able to do is that you have a, what we call the splitter. Basically, it splits the light into, you know, as it goes, splitter with, with, the, with the optics, it will split up to, you know, two to one, four to one, 16 to one, 32 to one, 64 to one. So it splits. So what it does, as they are traveling to that destination, there's no power required. So that is why the passive optical network is, is so inherently used on the fiber to the home. Because when you go under the ground, in, in, in a, the, there's no power. So in order to be able to deliver that and, and be able to do these things are extremely important on the passive optical network technology. What it does within the building is that if you want, the, the future is that you need to you need to be able to deliver the fiber right to the edge to create the 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 best what we call the the secure uh, the fastest network that is possible. So what uh, uh, compared to the traditional you know the active network you have a you know core switch with the distribution switch edge switches and so on and, and every one of those you need a power core to be able to do that. And, and what what this does it eliminates all of that, which means that basically you you know your power uses within the building becomes really low, and all of these traditional Ethernet you know the the switches are using the Cat five Cat six type of cable, which is massive amount as you think about it, 
and it creates a, it, the heat and, and, and you know, the, the, the space constraint that is needed within, within the building risers, there's issue with those things. And by bringing the fiber right to the edge and converting that into the what we call ONT, which is basically converting the light to electrical and then plug it at the edge, the devices. And, and that really differentiates asset, number one, in terms of the cost of replacement, what we call, the, we're talking about the life cycle of the product, right? It becomes much, much less because there's no moving parts. And all of the, 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 the splitters and, 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 and you know, cross connect and so on, they're all passive devices, which will last for 20 years. Only thing that you have to do is refresh is maybe the, you know, the line cars that is supporting today, one gig to 10 gig and, and so on and so forth. So this is a really a, a huge advantage for a building like this into the cost effective way of to deploy your network. So when we looked at the, the difference between active and passive, as Wayne described, there were a few things cost, obviously one of them, as mentioned off the top, uh, because of the infrastructure requirements being significantly less, because we can take a single fiber and, and split it up to 64 ways, our standard right now is four to eight at max, and take it as far as we can to the edge, the requirement for structure cabling uh, or copper cabling, your CAT6, CAT6As, moved to being only required for the last mile. So that allowed us to uh, deploy networks over large buildings with very minimal uh, cabling infrastructure. Uh, leveraging the splitter technology allowed us to take fiber as far as we could uh, without having switching all over the place. Um, and the, as Wayne described, the opportunity to simply replace minor components saved us enormous amounts of money on lifecycle refresh because as you can Imagine when you're looking at a traditional network having to replace basically everything, you're paying for the system over and over again every four to seven years if you're lucky, but probably realistically five uh, five or six. So the cost advantages, the, 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 the cost savings advantages, the operational advantages, the space savings advantages, especially when dealing in existing buildings with constrained spaces, um, the energy usage advantages made it very clear that this was the technology and the solution to go with. And for the mechanical engineers listening that don't know anything about IT, um, like the one asking this question, uh, why do these p p devices and pieces of hardware need to be replaced every five years uh, in the traditional system? Well, when you talk about an active piece of equipment, it is just that. It is active. There are moving parts and pieces, and there's power to these devices, so they heat up. And over time, not only do they fail, but just like any other piece of technology, they become unsupported. Uh, when we look at fiber, fiber is glass. And uh, the signals move across the glass at the speed of light. And the last thing, the last time I checked, there's really nothing faster than the speed of light, with maybe the exception of James and I running to the bar after these conferences are over. Um, but that aside, uh, it's, it's an infrastructure that stands the test of time. The splitting devices, as Wayne mentioned, are completely passive, so they're unpowered. They can last 25, 30 years. Uh, the only thing that would make them fail is decay or somebody hitting them with a hammer or cutting the fiber with a knife. Um, and the technology being central, uh, primarily with powered devices at the edge, require the uh, uh, the number of devices that you need to refresh 
uh, very uh, insignificant in comparison to an active network. Okay, before we get into the lessons learned, I want to I want to get the challenges from you guys because we've been talking about a lot of benefits here. But I just want to we we published a deployment profile, sort of summarizing this on our website. People can go to buyers uh, buyers hub on our website and go to deployment profile. Um, the results from this, the the, the numbers the, uh, that we published um, that we got from Andorix here are pretty. I, I want to just want to read them because they're pretty compelling. Energy savings of seventy percent. Um, 65% space savings, 50 to 70% lower service costs. So that would be like if someone else, like the, you know, the controls vendor is managing the network for the building automation system, you're, you're getting rid of that cost and centralizing it, right? And then um, 65% cost savings. Uh, and we've been talking about all the ways this, in which this saves cost. Pretty, pretty compelling results in, in, in terms of the financial side of this as well. Absolutely. And, and it was one of the major drivers in, in this decision-making process. And the reality is the traditional big logos and the named vendors in the networking space have just had the industry uh, convinced that they are the only solution, which is why everybody looked at us when we were deploying this infrastructure and were very, very skeptical that it would work. As Wayne shared earlier, this technology has been in place, used by the telecommunications uh, industries for, for, for many, 30, many years. 30 plus, oh, 30 plus years. Oh, 30, yeah, yeah. 30 plus years delivering fiber to the home. Now, there were some limitations in, in certain areas with the technology early on that made it difficult to deploy in these types of environments. But as technology goes, there's been significant advancement and it enabled us to do so. So, you know, when we looked at the numbers, they almost seemed unrealistic, but they were certainly real. And uh, I have a number of direct comparison case studies that we've put together uh, that show just how real they are. Totally. All right. Let's get into the challenges. Thano, I know that there were a few here that you want to sort of bring up. Uh, Let's pretend we're thinking about educating a buyer that hasn't done this yet. And you're basically like, here are the roadblocks that we hit that we don't want you to hit. Uh, what were the what were the challenges? And we can talk about the resolution to each of them as well. For sure. I would say probably the first one on the top of the list as you're looking at retrofitting, and I'll talk a little bit about new construction as well, uh, but let's focus on retrofitting to start. Uh, system discovery prior to cutting over the existing infrastructure to your new infrastructure was a major challenge. Um, it was a challenge for a number of reasons. It was a challenge because we didn't know what we didn't know. It was a challenge because of relationship issues or maybe not issues, but lack of understanding from our vendors into what we were actually looking for uh, because they're not network specialists. In a lot of cases, as you joke, James, you're, you've got a mechanical background. That doesn't mean you know how a network works. You just know that you need it there to run your system. So a lot of the things that we were asking may not have been appropriately responded to. And, uh, and, and to be frank, we probably could have done a bit of a deeper dive into some of these sites before we started. So that was, and, and that manifests in starting to switch over and everybody going, uh-oh, wh- why isn't it coming back on? Or we turned something off and we thought it was only going to turn this off. Why did it turn a bunch of other stuff off? Or when we turned it back on, not everything came back on. So so there was a lot of pre-work. There's a ton of pre-work that you need to do. You have to go really through the buildings with a fine tooth comb uh, to understand everything, physically where it is, how it's connected, 
what it's serving so that you can appropriately cut over. That's your mitigation. Uh, one of the things that you can do that we that even despite these issues that I think we did very well uh, was risk mitigation with respect to a backout plan. Um, we had to use it several times, if I'm honest. We'd cut over and things wouldn't work and we'd have to revert back to its existing state and get it up and running again. Uh, pack up at 5 a.m., go home, sleep during the day, and then try again at midnight the next night, uh, start over again. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's not easy and it's not for the faint of heart, but when done, it's the, as we've been talking about, the value is, is pretty great. I know I wanted to add one more is that, you know, we, we, we at Endorex and nor the DTS, you know, who actually had, a, you know, a password for network infrastructure, they have not deployed in this mass scale, 20 million square foot, you know, 40 buildings, and you are going to encounter a lot of different things. And so it was a vendor who actually learned a lot. And can you imagine that? Like they, they, they had a, uh, you know, they're deploying it as a technology for the football field, like football stadium and, and, you know, the, the hotels. So, but in the commercial building, you're completely different. So to be able to do this thing day in and day out, and I, I don't think they really understood it as well until we actually had to pull them in and says, look, you are going to do a cutover with us every single building, every single night. And you have to have that kind of what we call the, 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 you know, the, the, the relationship to be able to bring this thing together. And this is a le major lesson. I don't care who it is. Unless you do that kind of commitment from the vendor and us and from the, the, the you, know, you know, quadril, it's not going to work. So I think that was the major success criteria that we went through together, right? Yeah, I'll add to that a little bit. James, you know, there was a big learning curve for the manufacturer uh, that actually required their engineers uh, to come in and step in in a few situations and create uh, custom updates and firmware updates to their equipment so that they could handle whatever the uh, device or system that we were connecting to uh, so that we wouldn't have issues. So, you know, hopefully those who select, whether it's our vendors or other vendors that are listening to this, uh, hopefully they've learned from a lot of the stuff that we've done, because I will say with some confidence that we were the first to deploy this technology at scales at scale in the built environment, um, that, that a lot of those issues are mitigated. But to Wayne's point, it was critical to have them on the phone with us as we were doing cutovers saying, OK, this works. Next device. This doesn't work. What are you seeing on your end, Andorix? What are you seeing on your end? Uh, uh, Dawson Zone, DZS, the manufacturer, and let's see if we can fix this in real time or if we have to back out and do something, uh, engineer something custom to make it work. So uh, we were certainly out in the, you know, in the middle of the Amazon with machetes blazing a trail, um, but now we've carved through it and it's been rinse and repeat. And it sounds like a, a major piece of this that everyone can do, no matter whether they're using this infrastructure or a different one is go out in your buildings and figure out what devices you have, what networks you have, and with those networks, what are the ways in which it's set up? What are the devices you have that are running the networks themselves? And just do an assessment, right? Um, and the way that we sort of frame this when we're advising buyers and advising building owners is it starts with your strategy. We've talked about at the beginning of this, what are you trying to accomplish? 
But then what you're trying to accomplish depends on your network in some way, shape, or form, like we've been talking about. And so you need to figure out what are all those things. And that requires some sort of assessment to go out and figure out what's in your buildings um, as, a, as a first step that needs to happen at some point. And sometimes these assessments aren't cut and dry. Um, you know, our folks and Wayne's teams were literally crawling under tables and into closets and finding stuff all over the place that had been installed. And you're like, why is this even here? Just because there was space available and a plug in a lot of cases. So just just throw it in that room, put it in the janitor's closet. It doesn't matter. There was stuff all over the place. So these assessments can get pretty hairy sometimes, and you have to be ready for that as as you start going through this uh, through this process. One other one other comment that James I, I would like to say is that Quadrio is not a network company. And 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 what happened is that you go into the communication closet and nothing is labored. How do you know how to connect them to make sure that you're not connect disconnecting this building from that building when you're doing a campus of two two point four million square foot downtown building? And it's been there for like twenty years. And and just to try to trace that to make sure where they all go. To me, that is the the expertise that is needed to make sure you don't bring the whole building down. And I think that's really the 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 type of uh, you know the the because of who we were. We were a technology company. We're a networking company for twenty years. We're able to go in not as a as a you know the the building connectivity company. It's it's that that background in our engineering that allow us to be able to go and, and labor every one of those things. And then when we did a cutover, it worked. So so those are the kind of what we call the the, the lessons learned, especially for, uh, you know, it's not a faded heart uh, it, to be able to do that because you, you're not going into a brand new building. These are buildings that has been built for, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and, and been there forever, so. Okay, what's our other uh, other cha- other challenges that, that are on your list, Dana? We talked a little bit about retrofit. Let's talk about new construction. A completely different set of challenges. You're not dealing with existing infrastructure. You're not dealing with legacy vendors. Everything's brand new. However, uh, sometimes more difficult than existing buildings, and I'll explain why. You've got a traditional construct that is deployed through most projects where contractors are responsible for manufacturers within their respective divisions. For those not familiar with master format, you can look it up on Google. And when I say things like division 27 communications and 26 electrical and 23 mechanical and and 28 security, that'll start to make sense. But typically these systems were, or these divisions were delivered in silos. When we come in and start asking them all to connect to a single infrastructure, despite the fact that we place it in division 27, it still requires a lot of coordination to ensure that all of the vendors are not, again, very traditionally standing up their own infrastructure to stand up their system so that they can check the box, say that they're done, commission their system, get paid and get out, which is what they want to do. So challenge on new construction is coordination. Um, and we struggled with it early. Um, what it turned into was us writing our own divisional specifications and ensuring that there was cross collaboration between all of those uh, all of those trade divisions 
and Division 27, and frankly, Division 25 as well, as we looked at the integration layer of this entire strategy so that we could implement. And the key is the key to success and the key to overcoming these challenges is documentation, is appropriate design and specification, um, is ensuring that when procuring, uh, because just because you specified a certain way doesn't mean they're going to try to sell it to you in the same way that you specified it, is ensuring that what is being sold uh, is aligned with your specifications. And then it still doesn't stop there. You still need to check as they submit shop drawings and what they're actually going to install on site and make sure that there's an audit trail that goes back to your initial design. And from there, you're still not done because you need a management, an appropriate level of management oversight from the owner and from, you know, you talk a lot about master systems integrators. There there needs to also be an element of that that's the, the network master system net integrator that comes in and brings all these folks together. And there is early and often engagement between all these parties uh, that are meant to stand up systems in a new construction environment. So that was a huge challenge for us figuring that out. The network is always the scapegoat. People look at the network and say, oh, my system doesn't work because of that. I can't commission because of the network. Uh, the network's not working. Uh, that's why my stuff doesn't work. And 95% of the time, it's not true. Most of the time, it's because things haven't been configured appropriately. They haven't been uh, installed appropriately. They didn't follow our specifications or our requirements. and as we transform and as these mechanical contractors and these electrical contractors and these uh, metering and AV contractors start to understand this, it'll make it easier. But right now they still think very traditionally. So as an owner, developer, operator, we need to bring folks in like Andorix and also employ our own expertise on our side to ensure that this stuff gets done properly. And only since we've done that have we seen it be successful. Um, and we've managed to make them all successes, but some of the earlier ones were very, very painful. <laughs> and I think sometimes this industry looks at Division 25 as like the the magic wand that makes everything integrate. And it sounds like what you're describing is, yes, for a portion of the stack, but then there still needs to be the integration of these concepts into each individual specification uh, and, and the, for the rest of the contractors, the rest of the stakeholders yeah, as well. Yeah, ab absolutely true. I think that one of the things that we have now, I believe, done very well as we've written these specifications and kind of brought them in-house and are managing them ourselves is ensuring that each of them appropriately points to points either back to Division 27 from a physical connectivity integration standpoint and points back to division 25 for call it a software layer system integration perspective. And both of them are equally as critical because you can't have 25 without 27. And if you just have 27, you just have a bunch of connected stuff that you're not doing anything with. So, so they're both, they're both very necessary in the realization of all the outcomes that I spoke of off the top. Okay, I think that's a great place to to end off, you guys. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Any last words for people that we didn't cover? So if I can just offer my parting words, uh, if I can just offer my parting words, I would say, as difficult as this sounds, you have to do it. So get started somewhere, start putting your plans together, take a very stepped and pragmatic approach to transforming your existing assets, and don't build new buildings without considering this infrastructure. 
and the deployment of this infrastructure because you're going to kick yourself later. As much as contractors, general contractors, manufacturers continue to throw up um, words like risk and schedule risk and cost risk, you have to fight through that in order to get what you want and to realize the outcomes you want on the other end. So if you haven't started, start. And if you have started and smacked your head against the wall, like we have several times, just keep smacking until you go through. And, uh, and there's something better on the other side. Yeah, from, from Endorex perspective, uh, James, I think the, the success is really the partnership between the, the, the master system integrator that is responsible for end-to-end. I'm talking about not just portion of it. There are people who just deploy infrastructure and then walk away. Yet that, that will be the, the, the probably 100% of failure that you're going to be regretting. So you need to find a great partner who is going to be able to do this thing from design all the way through and day two and responsible for managing this as part of their life cycle. And which means that without that, I think the, they're going to go through a really a tough time. So, you know, find the, you know, portfolio type of, you know, the event customer like the Quadrille and find the partner, not only Endorex, but anybody who has a similar vision to be able to partner it and, and be able to deliver it, I, I think you're going to have a great success. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your lessons learned, both of you, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, friends, thank you for listening to this episode. As we continue to grow our global community of change makers, we need your help. For the next couple of months, we're challenging our listeners to share a link to their favorite Nexus episode on LinkedIn with a short post about why you listen. It would really, really help us out. Make sure to tag us in the post so we can see it. Have a good one.